If you're visiting, a very special welcome to you again. Uh, at this church, we believe uh, in a God who is uh, active, is involved in people's lives, not someone just distant. Uh, and we also believe in the Bible. The Bible is not just a book to us, it's actually God's Word. And so when we sit and listen, we're actually hearing from God. And if you're someone uh, who uh, is exploring the Christian faith, we pray that you will continue to hear God as you've been hearing about Him as we sang songs through communion and even this time as we read together. And if you haven't been to church for a little while and you've taken a bit of courage to come here, we're glad that you, you made it. Uh, so if you have uh, 1 Peter, chapter 1, and we're going to be uh, picking it up in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do now not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, the things that, that have now been announced to you through those who practice preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is God's word. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, as we uh, pause and as we spend this time together in your word, we pray that you would continue to speak to us, continue to reveal to us what's on your heart. not just individually, but as a church. And Lord, once again, I pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you through your Son, for the glory of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you are visiting, we just started a new series last week. We started in the series of 1 Peter, and we uh, looked at the first few verses last week. Uh, and last week, we wanted to focus on a particular th- topic. And the topic that we focused on was, what would it look like to live a life of hope? And then we wanted to answer that question. And then, as for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we were reminded that we have been given a wonderful hope, because we've actually been given something We've been given an inheritance, an inheritance that we're waiting for in the sense that we're waiting for that day to arrive in Christ when he returns, but which means, though, as we live in this world to represent Jesus in this world, we don't live as people who belong in this world. We're actually foreigners from a foreign land, from a foreign country. And as we live like that, as we live as exiles in this world, That means it actually bears witness to a world that deeply and desperately needs to know about this hope because they have no hope without Christ. 
And this morning we want to continue uh, these uh, verses that we're looking at, looking at verses 6 to 12. And two things I want to hopefully focus on. Firstly, I want us to focus on the purpose of trial, looking at verses 6 to 9. And then secondly, I want us to be reminded of a privilege that we have, verses 10 to 12. Now, firstly, the purpose of a trial. Now, when we look at this letter, I know we've separated in this sermon series into two parts here, but when Peter wrote this letter to the churches that he's writing to, he didn't have like, you know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, and so on. Uh, Verses 3 to 12 is actually one big long sentence. He's actually talking about it in one big uh, long sentence. And so, despite of that reason why we've kind of gone separate in these two verses, we want you to keep that in mind as you look at verses 6 to 12 that you have this in the background. And what is that background? You need to continue to remember there's a foundation that Peter is building on as he's writing to these churches. He's reminding them that they're foreigners, they're exiles in this world, and that they've been given a wonderful, glorious, beautiful inheritance that's waiting for them. And with that truth, he's saying to the churches of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, And even to us in Kilsai, because that's in the background, rejoice. Rejoice. That truth should bring you to great joy. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing most of us, when we think about this language of rejoice or joy, it's probably not something that we often talk about. You may even talk about it maybe during Christmas time. Joy to the world. We may sing those songs. We don't necessarily use the word joy as such. But there's another word we might use. There's a word called happy. I don't know if you've heard that in modern day times, the language of how are you feeling? I'm happy. A few years ago, a guy by the name of Pharrell Williams, he wrote a song called Happy. And the words are up here. And the words go like this. It seems crazy what I'm about to say. Sunshine, she's here. As the sun comes through the window, uh, you can take a break. I'm a hot air balloon. I have no idea what he means by that. But anyway, that could go to a space with air like I don't care, baby, by the way. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, because I'm happy. (laughs) Clap along if you feel like a room without a roof because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like happiness is a truth, which is an interesting line, because I'm happy. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you because I'm happy. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. And he says in the second words, here, here comes bad news. Talking this and that, yeah, give me all you got. Don't hold back. Yeah, I should probably warn you. I'll just be fine. Yeah, no offense to you. Don't waste your time. Here's why. And then he goes into happy. And that's the chorus. It was a top-selling song. It was very popular. So popular that it shaped a lot of pop history. A guy by the name of George Eritardis, he's the head music commentator for BBC Radio 1, said this, Happy came out during a bleak time of year when people were feeling lower than they already, than they already were. Given it was the tail end of a recession, uh, people want songs that give them a good feeling. A hit of ele- elevation is key to Happy's success. It's important for songs to really connect at this level. If you have the artist's brand in a great place as well as a great song, people who know Pharrell Williams is, knows also he's really cool because he wears this hat. He looks amazing. And 
They appreciate that. And we test our top 25 songs per week with their audience to find out how they're reacting. And they have like a bit of a scale that they use words. And Happy has had the highest passion score, percentage of the audience who love the track of any song in the past 18 months. Uh, This language of happy is something probably what our culture uses, and maybe you even use it yourself. But see, the language of the Bible, when it talks about happy, doesn't really unpack that. It actually goes deeper than that. It actually talks about a particular word talking about joy. And when we think about joy, and when we think about this idea of happiness and joy interrelated maybe, we need to ask some questions. And this is what Peter's trying to do as he's speaking to this church, he's talking about rejoice, he's talking about joy, it should hopefully cause some of us to ask the simple question as this, where is my joy? Where is my joy? Where is your joy? I don't know about you, let's, I know for me, it's very easy to be joyful, it's very easy to be happy and clap hands when things are going really, really well. It's awesome to do that. I don't know if you've ever done this. Oh, praise God that I've got that pay rise. I'm not talking about Canterbury Gardens because I work here, but I'm talking... I'll just leave that one alone. Um, I'm talking generally, right? Praise God. This week, my kids have not been sick. Praise God that I got that job that I've been really wanting. I got that promotion or landed that contract that I've been waiting for. Praise God. And you fill in the blank. And often when we're talking about joy and praising God, it's usually in the context of being very positive outcome. Now, don't get me wrong. It's good to praise God in all circumstances. But what happens when the various trials of life come your way? What happens when the various trials come your way? Now, the language that Peter's actually talking about, the trials when he's saying, uh, comes your way, or this, he's actually really saying when God allows these trials to come your way, do we praise him? Is our response to praise him? If we are facing various trials, my guess is we might not automatically go to, yes, let's praise God. I'm, if you do this every morning, please, I'd love to learn from you that I'm guessing you don't wake up every morning going, Father God, this is awesome. Bring on the trials this morning for me. My guess is you're probably not saying that. But I think in our culture, and maybe even personally, is we probably would rather avoid trials. We would rather avoid issues. It's actually counterintuitive to think in this way, in this kind of language that Peter's writing to these group of churches. It actually sounds kind of weird. It sounds a bit ridiculous to praise God in the various trials that you're in. I'm sure many of you don't go, woohoo, I love that I'm in a trial right now. I think we as people are prone to prefer no kind of trials. Now, I don't know, men, you may be able to really um, connect with me on this. I don't know if men have ever suffered the terrible thing called a man cold. The worst thing that has ever happened in human history. And when a man faces a cold, they're on the ground wailing, Father, God, why did you let this happen to me? 
Now, I joke about it, but see, when they talk about trials and sickness, this is not what these churches are talking about. The trials that Peter's specifically talking about is talking about persecution that this church would face, but we'll unpack that as we go a little bit further. We want you to understand the language of trials and challenges and suffering, particularly suffering and trials, is a very big theme in particularly the New Testament. Jesus himself, it's up here on the screen, when he's been speaking to his disciples, he's been teaching them what it means to be a disciple of his, said this in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecute the prophets who went before you. Then also, uh, a guy by the name of James, who was the uh, brother of Jesus, the human brother of Jesus, while he was here on this earth, said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Uh, Peter's writing to this group of churches, and when he's talking about various trials, he's not talking about a silly old man cold. And if you have a man cold and you think I've offended you, talk to uh, John and Nathan. They'd love to pray for you afterwards if you want. But this idea of various trials, particularly in the context in the big letter of 1 Peter, and I think also goes into 2 Peter, there's two things that are going on. The various trials may come from pressures from uh, outside, the world that you are living in as exiles, but also the pressures that come in from within. What he means by pressures that you can read about it in chapter 1, you can read about it in chapter 2, you can read about it in chapter 3. Talking about pressures, that passions and temptations that's warring against your flesh, to give in, to deny Christ, to go after your own fleshly desires, that battle, that kind of trial. In the context of 1 Peter, there's this talk where Peter says, when the masters, the people that you're serving, some of them were slaves, saying the masters are treating you unjustly, even when you're doing good, there's a response that you need to have. That's the kind of trials. Even when people are paying you evil, rather than repaying them back with evil, Peter's response is to suffer for the sake of righteousness. That's just to name a few in Peter. So this whole idea of rejoicing is connected to that in the context of 1 Peter, and this whole connected to this idea of a trial. Now, fast forward to 2017, there's lots of things going on in our culture, even now, today, here in Melbourne, in this moment. But in our general life, for those of us who think about trials, there may be a few places that you might go, that I am tempted to go when we think about trials in our daily life. Some of us will default into this kind of idea of, okay, well, trials, i just got to suck it up, take it, bear it, i just got to rejoice, yay, and force yourself kind of thing. Some of us, is quite confronting to think and ponder that God, the creator of the universe, would permit suffering trial to come into your life. And it sounds almost like very quite manipulative of God. And then some of us, in the midst of trial, we actually tend to just play it down, just brush it off, and no, no, just get, get on with it. Wherever you land in this, the question is, are we rejoicing in trial? See, the, the language that's used here is not just about 
rejoicing for the sake of rejoicing. Because there's a foundation that is there first as you respond in joy, as you rejoice. And what is that foundation? It's much more than being happy and clapping. It's much more than just thinking positively. You're actually rejoicing in something. You're rejoicing in this wonderful truth, this wonderful foundation. That if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given salvation. You have hope. And as trials come into your life, as the Lord permits some of these trials, various kinds of trials, whatever season you're in, you have something to cling on to. The salvation that Christ has given you. These churches that Peter's writing to, we're going to face trials that you and I can never even comprehend. They would suffer for the sake of the gospel. But Peter's reminding these churches, hey, rejoice. Know this, that you are safe. You are secure eternally because of God's grace. The question is, do we rejoice in such a way? I know for me, when I think about rejoicing, I probably ultimately rejoice in things that are really temporary. Does that happen to you in your own life? Do you rejoice ultimately in temporary things? What I mean by that is, when these temporary things are shaken, what is our response? When these temporary things are removed, is our response as joy or is the sense of shattered? And I think often in these moments is that because you and I are tempted to lose focus. Peter is reminding to the churches at that time that he's writing to. And even reminding you and I that our joy cannot and must not be grounded in the things of this world. But our joy must be grounded in the one has granted us this beautiful grace and salvation through the power of his Holy Spirit. And when you and I grow in that, when you and I learn to rest in that with God's help in this truth, we can actually face various trials with joy. Please understand when I say various trials with joy, it's not the kind of just smile and stiff up for it. Remember, there is room for you to grieve. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, what he's just talked about. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. I think a bad way of rejoicing in a trial is just not even acknowledging there is grief in that. And you know what? In the Bible, grief is all throughout the Bible. It is good to grieve. It's okay to grieve. You read about it, particularly in the Old Testament, you read a psalm, and the psalm talks about, God, where are you? The response then is going on a bit of a journey from grief to hope. The world that we live in, our friends who don't know Jesus, they grieve, but they grieve because they don't have any hope. For those of us who know Christ, we can grieve because we have hope. That means even for those of us, if you're journeying with people who are going through various trials and grief and challenges, even for the sake of the gospel, can I encourage you? Don't just keep saying, oh, brother and sister, rejoice, rejoice, happy, clap, clap. Grieve with them. But as you grieve with them, help them, carry them along through God and through his word, pray with them, grieve with them, together remember the hope that you have. 
And there might be some of us here sitting right now going, well, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. No one knows. How can you say that I need to be happy and rejoicing in the trial that I'm facing? And friends, if you might be right in the thick of things right now, I'm not going to pretend I know exactly how you feel. I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly how you feel. But I want to remind you that you have a Savior who 100% understands what it means to face various trials. Even leading to the most excruciating trial that was ever invented by man. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, He's talking about in Hebrews 11, he's given this history of all these people who have in faith responded. And he says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to who? To themselves? The trial? No, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Your Savior understands what it means to go through a trial 100%. Your Savior knows. And rather than run away from him, can I implore you, can I call out to you to run to him, cling to him. And as you cling to him, he will remind you of the salvation that you have in him. And for those of us who maybe even uh, this is more of a pastoral note, is that drop to this kind of trial comparison. I don't know if you've done this. Someone says, I'm going through something, and you go, oh, well, you know, I don't want to talk about it because someone's got worse than me. The group of churches that Peter's writing through, he's talking about various trials. This, this letter will have done a bit of a rounds through these churches. And there's no specific necessarily for everything that the church is trialing. There was no sense that one church was saying, we're going more than you guys. They're all facing trials. But in this, that Peter is reminding these churches and even to us to acknowledge them. To know the trial that you're facing. But as you do, rejoice in the salvation that's been given. And that is the foundation. And that foundation then sets for us, verse 7 onwards, what the purpose of Christian suffering is about. So that the tested great genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know why you may be facing various trials, or you may even be facing them right now, and maybe even facing as Christians in this culture, because it's a testing season. The God in His grace permits it to happen. And the language that's said here is this idea of fire and gold. And I'm not going to pretend I know what I'm talking about. But this picture is to say, if you've got gold and you put it through fire, it refines it. it all the impurities are thrown away, burn away. This is this picture that Peter is drawing for these churches. But Peter then says, your faith is far more valuable than the gold. Because gold ultimately will pass away But the Christian faith is eternal. It is eternal. May be found results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I find it quite interesting and unique in our culture, in our day and time. 
often you hear things and statistics that talk about, oh, the Christian faith is getting squished out, the Christian faith is going to get pushed out, the Christian faith is going to be totally wiped out of this world. Can I just remind us, for those of us who know Jesus, please understand that Christian faith is an eternal faith. You cannot squash God out. And the churches here that are facing this knew they were about to face persecution. Christian faith would continue to go. It's quite unique in our day and age. It's interesting to hear the, of countries that were totally closed away from the gospel. They've been pushing missionaries out of those countries no longer. And these are the countries where the gospel is expanding in amazing rates. Because the Christian faith is eternal. And he's saying in this moment to the church and to us, the fiery trials that you're facing, the various trials you might be facing right now, God is actually using it, even for the church here in Melbourne in 2017, as a way, as a tool to prove for all of the world that is watching to show this faith is a genuine faith. That God himself will also, as it's happening, will enable you and I and the church to persevere because of the hope that is waiting for us. Remember in verse 5 where it says, who by God's power have been guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It is God himself who will sustain. It is God himself through this trial will enable you to sustain through this fiery trial. And the purpose of that is for that revelation, for that day when Christ returns and says, here are my saints, here are the ones who persevered. Those people who have gone through the various trials. I've been really been appreciating a book I've been reading on one Peter, and it's a guy by called Juan Sanchez. And he had this wonderful quote in his book. He said this. It's up here on the screen. The outline of our um, inheritance comes sharper into focus when we have tears in our eyes. And I added in our hearts as well. The outline of our inheritance comes sharper into focus when we have tears in our eyes, and I said our hearts as well. It's like saying, as we face the fiery trials, the idea is that through these trials being refined to cause us to cling to the one, to the one who understands it, the one who understands trials, the one who understands to be persecuted for the faith, the one who understands this, and so then we can actually cling to the one the one who has conquered sin and death on our behalf. <coughs> Excuse me. So as we cling to him, as we face these fiery trials, we can rejoice in knowing that we have an inheritance waiting for us because our Savior has both promised it and he's actually got us. And friends, if you're someone who's visiting Canterbury Gardens today or listening in and you thought that the Christian faith was about everything will go well for you once you follow Jesus, that's actually not biblical. The Bible does not promise that. The Bible actually promises the opposite. That if you follow Jesus, there's a reality things will happen in your life that will be of trial and challenge. But the thing is, if you don't know Jesus, you can actually face these trials, even your own trials in life right now, with no hope at all, when you commit your life to him, you can have hope, even in the midst of whatever season and trial you are in. And Christ will enable you to find joy. 
We would invite you, if that's you, we would invite you to ask the friend who brought you today, maybe even ask any of us here, any of us who calls Canterbury Gardens Community Church home should be able to tell you why they have hope. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, this kind of passage is to ask us the question, where is our joy even in this season that we're in right now? Is it, is it in the one who reminds us that we have been given salvation and grace? Or have we turned our joy, even found or trying to find our joy in something else or someone else as we go through these fiery trials? And if you're someone who's in a trial right now, if you're facing whatever that might be, and you may be feeling the pressures of the world against us, it's okay to grieve. And particularly though, I would encourage you to grieve with one another. Because it is a testing time, but God in his mercy is burning it away to refine you. So look to the one. The one that verse 8 talks about specifically to you. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, we believe in him and rejoice with joy that is expressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of of your souls. It's like saying, Peter saying, hey, look to the one, cling to the one who has given you the salvation, the one who has already promised it to you, the one who will continually give you grace upon grace to endure and run the race. On that day, salvation of souls you will receive. And with that in the background, with that as the... The idea of why we are going through trials to refine us and change us, we come to a privilege that we have. Followers of Jesus, in 2017, do you feel like a privileged people? Do you feel like a privileged people? Now, I get it. Marriage plebiscite, safe schools. The Christian faith, in a sense, is being pushed away more and more. Do you ever feel like sometimes saying, I wish we had gone back to the good old days? Whatever that is. Do you know the good old days? I don't know if you ever thought about this. I've thought about, oh, I remember the good old days. I wish they could let us have, um, you know, RE in schools, all those kind of things which were important. But I wish the good old days, we used to do this and that. Do you ever fall into that trap? I have often. Have you ever wondered what it would feel like to time travel? Have you ever thought about that? I have. I thought when I thought, if there was Bible story, when would I love to time travel? Where which a time would I go back to? Do you know when? To the garden. And I'd say to Adam, whoa, get involved. Or then maybe you might fast forward a little bit. One of the places I'd love to time travel in and say, let's go back to when Jesus is walking on the road of Emmaus and he talks about all the Bible and he plans it out. I wish I had my iPad there, take photos and get an idea. But friends, Peter's reminding for those of us on this side of the cross, on this side of the empty tomb, on this side of the resurrected Christ, we are people who are very privileged in this day and age. Look at verses 10 to 12. Peter says, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ, the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you 
and the things that have now been announced, you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, send from heaven things into which angels look, yearned to the look. Peter's reminding uh, these, these churches as they think about it, and they, remember, they didn't have the, all the New Testament, they would have, would have had the Old Testament. Peter's saying to them, hey, the prophets of old, the prophets of the past, they were searching, they were investigating. They were looking for this grace and salvation, and guess who revealed it to them? The Spirit of Christ is revealing it, it to them. Revealing to them the coming salvation. Revealing to them this wonderful truth. I mean, two examples you can find in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It is the Spirit of Christ revealing this to the prophet Isaiah. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 5, And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Say, thus says the Lord, so you think, O oh, house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. The Spirit of Christ is revealing this to Ezekiel. He's revealing these truths to him. It's like Jesus himself is talking about himself. He's pointing them through the Spirit. Showing that Christ would come. The salvation story was going to happen. And as the Spirit of the Lord is showing this to the prophets of old, Peter is saying, hey, the Spirit of Christ is representing Christ himself, revealing this truth. Now this same Spirit has revealed something to who? To us. And who are these prophets serving? As they look back, as they proclaim this truth, they are serving the churches of Asia Minor and all who would respond to the gospel later. See, friends, this is a wonderful thing for us to meditate on because no matter whatever season of various fiery trials you're in, you need to understand that you are and I, for those of us who have faith in Christ, are privileged. Because no longer is now the Spirit revealing to some pocket people of um, prophets and so on. No, it's been revealed to us who put faith in Christ, to all believers. I wonder if the old prophets, if you said to them, when you, would you like to time travel? They would say, I'd like to time travel to where you guys are now because it's been revealed. And then Peter goes even further to drive the point, I think, is to say, hey, even the angels themselves... Uh, this picture of talking about the angels and, and then yearning to look, it's like this idea that the angels are looking from heaven. They're stooping down to uncover and discover what's going on. They want to know. They want to bow forward. This is, this is an interesting language he says. He says, churches of Asia Minor, churches have been for us now, that you are far more privileged than the, uh, uh, the prophets of old and even Angels. Angels. Angels who are in the throne room of God. Angels who have seen this. The angels who worship the God of all creation. We are far more privileged than them. Because the reality is the angels will never experience what you and I, for those who have faith in Christ, have experienced. Later on, 1 Peter talks about the fate of those who are fallen angels who rejected God and his authority. There's no salvation for them. There's no hope for them. This is wonderful privilege for you and I, for those of us who know Christ. 
No matter if in the suffering and season that you're in, you are far more privileged than the prophets and the angels. This kind of truth should shift the way that you live your life, how I live my life. Particularly as you and I flick on the news, as we see the banter on social media, we need to make sure as we engage with that, is this truth shaping how we engage or are we living as people with no hope? As you and I continue to live as a people, living as foreigners, resting in the salvation that Christ has given us, the inheritance that's promised for us, that Christ has given us His Holy Spirit who will enable us to rejoice in whatever season we are in, in whatever trials we are in. That means we can cry tears. As we cry tears, we cry with hope because the Spirit of Christ lives in us because we are privileged people grounded, not in some airy-fairy story, but grounded in true salvation. Friends, this should help us to live authentic lives for our Savior in a world that desperately, desperately needs to know his salvation and joy. I'm going to invite the music team to come up now. And as they come up, they're going to sing a song. And the idea of this song is for you to use, look at the words and reflect in whatever season that you're in to be able to rejoice and be reminded of truths. And then at the end, we're going to stand up and sing a song that's very familiar to us and as a way of responding and surrendering to Him. Before the team sings, let me pray. O Spirit of Christ, thank you for revealing this gospel to us. We ask that you'll continue to reveal Christ to us. Oh Lord Jesus, for those of us who are in fiery trials, wipe our tears with a reminder of the joyous salvation that we have. And please help us as Canterbury Gardens Community Church to be people who continue to live in humility, people representing you well, but not with people as, with no hope, but privilege people with a message of hope to a world that desperately needs to hear it, even today in 2017. We pray this in your name. Amen.